This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good. Great that you could join us on Good Friday today as we remember the death of Jesus. Just so you know, Easter is a two-part story. Um, So you've got to come back on Sunday to get part two of the story. Today we are really intentionally focusing on the death of Jesus and um, pausing to remember the significance of what he has done for us. And today I want to be speaking about the topic of forgiveness. We are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together afterwards, so you should have one of these on your seat if you'd like to do that with us. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to jump straight into the message, so please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves. We thank you that you have loved us to the fullest extent, sending your one and only Son. And God, no matter how we've come in here this morning, no matter where we're at on our journey of faith, no matter where we're at in our disposition, God, I pray that today you would remind us that we are forgiven people, that we are set free. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts faith that trusts in the finished work of Jesus. that our lives would be lives that are lived in constant remembrance and worship of what you have done. So we invite you to speak now by your word, through your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, amen. I was reading an article this week in Comment Magazine written by Tim Keller, the, in my opinion, the the Pope of the Protestant movement, and um, the title of the article is called The Fading of Forgiveness, and Keller seeks to trace out as the rise of the secular West takes its hold and increases some of the values that have been disappearing in Western society, and forgiveness is one of those. In his article, he notes an exchange between two civil rights activists that occurred in the Washington Post in the wake of the uh, 2015 mass shootings in an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, where a white supremacist, Dylan Roof, walked in and murdered nine people in cold blood. At the uh, bond hearing, a number of families and representatives of those who had been murdered were there and present to hear uh, the hearing of Dylan Roof. And the judge gave permission for the families and representatives to say some things as Dylan Roof was there. And a number of people, a number of families got up and offered forgiveness and said to the person who had murdered their mum or their grandmother or their sister or their father, I forgive you. And in the wake of that, it sparked um, much debate and controversy. One of the um, leaders of the Black Lives Movement, an activist, wrote a piece that forgiveness of white supremacists is simply an enabler of 
the perpetuation of injustice and violence. And so she called people to stop offering forgiveness. A counter article was written by an older civil rights activist who had been a part of the movement in the 60s who had said that what was at the very center of the movements in the 1960s that were led by Martin Luther King Jr. and leaders like Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela was the very Christian ethic of love and forgiveness that she saw was not there in the new iteration of the Black Lives Matter movement. In fact, the rapper Tef Poe says, this ain't your grandfather's civil rights movement. It is much, much angrier. That's an interesting observation to make about the way that different generations have approached the injustice, the real systemic injustice of racism. And what we're faced with as we see these stories playing out across our televisions and our social media feeds is that forgiveness without justice is a significant problem for us. Not just us as Christians, but for us as humanity. It grates us when we see forgiveness without justice. You know, the more that we see our secular age untethering itself from the Easter story, the more that forgiveness is simply off-trend in our society and in our world. We have lost the resources in the West to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness now is seen as destructive, an enabler of injustice, And when we remove God from our frame of reference and we remove the story of a crucified Jesus offering forgiveness to a world that had turned its back on our maker, we begin to lose with it the resources to offer forgiveness. And I want to suggest that in a season like this where we have seen Things like Will Smith step up on a stage and slap Chris Rock in the face. Will Smith makes an apology, but there has been no forgiveness. Or we see, and rightly so, the president of the Ukraine, as Russia began to invade their country, say pointedly, there will be no forgiveness. There will be no forgiveness for the missiles that have been launched. There will be no forgiveness, he says, for the thousands upon thousands of people who have been suffering. In fact, Vladimir Zelensky went as far as to say, God will not forgive. Not today, not tomorrow, never. Now, it's not a far cry from some of the Psalms that we hear read. As the Psalmists cry out to God for justice, Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes their cry is, God, destroy entirely our enemies. God, don't bring forgiveness. But the one thing that the psalmist stops short of saying is pronouncing that there will be no forgiveness because that, friends, is God's prerogative. 
You know, that story that we just had read for us this morning, we hear of and see a profound demonstration of forgiveness. And this morning on this Good Friday, I want to draw us back into a story that our world so desperately needs to hear. Not personally, not, not only personally for ourselves, but a story that our society, our culture needs to hear as well. Some background to the story that we had read for us is that Jesus has simply um, walked to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover with his disciples. He has celebrated what is called the Last Supper together. And as he's done that, they've headed out and he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified. And he is there with his disciples and a band of Soldiers and Jewish rulers come. They take Jesus in the middle of the night and the Jewish rulers try him unjustly and find him guilty of blasphemy and a number of other trumped-up charges. In the morning, they take him to see the Roman ruler, Pilate, and Pilate, in an act of cowardice, sentences Jesus to an unjust, unfair death of crucifixion. In that moment, Jesus' life is exchanged for the life of a seasoned, hardened criminal named Barabbas. The Roman soldiers take Jesus and he is mocked and beaten, flogged with an inch of his life. The Roman soldiers take him out and they crucify him. And I want to pick that story up in verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. It says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers divided up his clothes by casting lots. It's so matter of fact, they crucified him there along with the criminals. In the first century, when Luke wrote about crucifixion, he didn't need to fill his readers' minds with what that meant because they knew exactly what it meant. They had seen crucifixions take place. It was a very public form of capital punishment. In fact, we know that in the first century, Nero crucified hundreds and hundreds of Christians lining the streets of the major roads. They were very familiar with crucifixion. It didn't need explanation. And so when Luke writes, there they crucified him, what that means is that they stripped Jesus naked. They drove spikes through his wrists and through his ankles and they hoisted him upon the cross and they left him there to die by asphyxiation. It is the most brutal form of crucifixion. 
And at that moment, as Jesus is hanging there, gasping for air, suffocating, struggling to breathe, looking back on all that has happened to him in the last 12 or so hours, in that moment, the betrayal, the the false trial, the unfair sentence, the beatings, the suffering of an innocent person, What is Jesus' disposition in that moment? Verse 34, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You know, history has recorded many a crucifixion of criminals, and what we know is that often in a criminal's last moments, The things that come out of their mouth are things like vile cursing, rants of hatred and rage. Often they would try and spit on the Roman soldiers as an act of revenge or even at times try and urinate on them. And it's understandable. And yet, at the moment where most people would expect that, Jesus utters words of forgiveness. Father, Forgive them. I wonder if you've ever just pondered that at Easter, thought about that moment as Jesus hung on the cross. What is going through his head? But the forgiveness of not just the Roman soldiers who had crucified him, but the forgiveness of the sins of the entire world. And we look at a moment like that and think, how is that possible? How is it possible for someone to offer forgiveness in a moment like that? It seems so counterintuitive. It seems to grate our Western 21st century therapeutic hyper-individualized ears. On the 31st of January 2022, a family was walking along the street of Oatlands, Carlingford in Sydney. And a drunk driver in a ute well over the legal speed limit, mounted the curb and mowed down four children, three of them from the Abdullah family. And literally, in the hours and days after the death of their three children, the parents of these kids stood in front of the media and issued words that were so powerful. They offered forgiveness to the drunk driver who recklessly and carelessly mowed down and killed their three children. And Australia watched on, floored. I read the article and wept as a father trying to think about what courage you would need to stir inside you to be able to offer forgiveness to the person who had just killed three of your children. We cannot fathom this. It's hard to imagine that in the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, what is running through his mind, the thing that motivates that act is forgiveness. Well, there's a second act of forgiveness that also occurred in that story. 
And it occurs in an exchange between the two criminals. Come back to verse 39 with me. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned and he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here is a man who is being crucified and his punishment is deserved. We're not told what he did. We're not told why he's there. We're simply told that he is a criminal. And he knows that he is guilty. He knows that he is getting the just punishment for his actions. And there in the last moments of his life, he all of a sudden expresses sorrow at what he's done and turns to Jesus and says to him, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And then Jesus promises that when he awakes on the other side of this brutal, suffocating death, that this criminal will be with him in paradise. That's an act of forgiveness. And we read that and we think, well, what about all of the things that he did? What about all of the wrongs that he's committed? What about all of the people that he hurt? How is forgiveness fair in that moment. And it grates us because we want to know about justice. Well, thankfully, the good news of Good Friday is that justice occurs. In three hours of darkness at midday, justice occurs. Have a look at verse 44. It was about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. This sign here that occurs, this darkness that comes over the land for three hours from midday until three in the afternoon, that moment is a sign of the judgment of God. We know all throughout Scripture that when there is a An event like this, when darkness descends, it is a sign of the judgment of God coming upon a moment. And in this moment, the judgment of God coming upon his only son. 
to deal with the wickedness and the sin and the brokenness of our world. In that moment, Jesus took upon himself the just penalty for the sins of that man who hung next to him and for the sins of every other person throughout human history who would have faith in his finished work. A great exchange took place on that first Good Friday. An innocent person, no more than an innocent person, the innocent Son of God received all of the wrath and judgment of God upon himself as he died to make forgiveness possible. On May 23 in 2018, in the southern French town of Trebes, an Islamic State terrorist walked into a Super U supermarket with a gun and took nine hostages the first responder on the scene was a off-duty, unarmed French policeman by the name of Arnaud Baltram. And with his mobile phone on, he rang the equivalent of triple zero in France and managed to walk in and negotiate the release of the hostages that this terrorist had taken. And in the reports that followed, they all said that as this off-duty unarmed police officer went into that supermarket, he went in with the full knowledge that as he negotiated the release of these hostages, what was happening in that moment was an exchange. He knew very well that he was laying down his life so that these hostages could go free. His mobile phone recorded all of the events. He was eventually shot four times and stabbed multiple times by this terrorist. And I want to suggest to you that what is happening at the cross on Good Friday is a very similar exchange that is taking place. Jesus, an innocent person, on the cross bearing the weight and responsibility of our sins, taking our place, dying our death, so that we might be set free. An exchange that occurs, so that we might be forgiven. You know, forgiveness is only enabling Forgiveness only perpetuates hate if there is injustice that perpetuates. But at the cross, justice is satisfied. This Good Friday, I want every single person here in the room and everyone who is watching on our live stream to know that you can be forgiven. That you can have forgiveness of your sins, not because God has swept them under a rug, not because He has lowered His standards to accept you, not because He has turned a blind eye, but because He has punished your sin in Jesus, because it has been dealt with, because all of our sin and mess and brokenness was absorbed and justice was satisfied in Jesus. 
where Vladimir Zelensky will say, there will be no forgiveness and instead there will be judgment. Jesus says, there will be judgment upon me. And instead of judgment for you, there will be forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. And like the freedom and life of those hostages in that Super U supermarket, our forgiveness comes at great personal cost to Jesus, that we have been set free. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. So I invite you to take out your elements of grape juice. There's a small wafer on top there. Now is the moment to prepare those, to peel back the the plastic seals. The Lord's Supper is a, a feast, a feast of remembrance, of unity, a feast of grace, and a feast of forgiveness. And in a world that is fractured and chaotic and divided and broken. Today we celebrate the grace of God. And at Easter, the Lord's Supper carries particular significance because it it lines up with the Jewish celebration of the Passover. The Passover was a, a meal that was remembered by God's people for millennia as they cast their minds back to the moment where as slaves in Egypt, God gave them a sign, a sacrifice, a lamb whose blood was shed and covered the doors of every household that the angel of death would pass over. And as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, that first Good Friday, He comes in at the time of the Passover. And it's John the Baptist who says of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, to remember what Jesus has done for us, give us a moment to pause. And in the silence of your hearts, confess your sin to God. And maybe you want to do that for the very first time today. Maybe this celebration is your moment to say, yes, I'm placing my faith and trust in the the work that Jesus has done for my forgiveness. I need it. But maybe for you today is a simple reminder of a truth and a reality that you have known for many years. Whatever it is for you, I invite you to, in a moment of silence, Confess your sins to God. He sees it all anyway. He desires to bring mercy. So let's pause and confess.
night before Jesus was crucified, he ate a meal with his disciples. And in Matthew 26, it says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as an act of worship and obedience and remembrance, I invite you to take the bread, the wafer, as a symbol of the body of Jesus that was broken for you. Take and eat. Take the cup a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for your sins, for your forgiveness. Drink in worship and thanks for Jesus, His work. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus... The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Jesus' promise that those who ask shall receive. There is forgiveness in the name of Jesus for every sin that is brought to the foot of the cross. It does not matter how bad, how far, how long it has been. The grace of God is better. It goes deeper. It runs longer than any sin you have ever committed. Church, here is the most blessed assurance that you could take with you today. There is forgiveness for everyone who believes and is set free from every sin. Amen. I'm going to close our time by reading a prayer over us and a prayer from the Puritans. And it's called Calvary's Anthem. So I invite you to stand as we transition our time to worship together appropriate this ancient prayer for us and it says this Heavenly Father you have led me singing to the cross where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish where my mountains of guilt are leveled to a plain where my sins disappear though they are the greatest that exist and are none in number and are more in number than the grains of fine sand. For there is power in the blood of Calvary to destroy sins more than can be counted. Even by one from the choir of heaven, you have given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white 
And I go as a sinner to its waters, bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. At the cross, there is free forgiveness for poor and meek ones and ample blessings that last forever. The blood of the Lamb is like a great river of infinite grace with never any diminishing in its fullness as thirsty ones without number drink of it. O Lord, forever will your free forgiveness live that was gained at the Mount of Blood in the midst of a world of pain It is subject for praise in every place. A song on earth, an anthem in heaven, its love and virtue knowing no end. I have longing for the world above where multitudes sing the song. For my soul was never created to love the dust of the earth. Though here, My spiritual state is frail and poor. I go singing Calvary's anthem. May I always know that a clean heart full of goodness is more beautiful than the lily. That only a clean heart can sing by night and by day. That such a heart is mine when I abide at Calvary. Amen. Amen.